Three, two, one. No, I'm not counting down. That's the date, people. Yeah, it's March 21st. Yeah, I'm Guy Adami. And guess what? Dan Nathan is back from Parts Unknown. March 21st, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, market call. In a few short minutes, joined by the great Carter Braxton Worth. We're throwing 30 minutes on the clock We will be aware of the time. We want to be aware of your time, how valuable it is. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, open exchange, Dan, because whilst you were away, they were hosting virtual meetings that mattered. Dan, welcome back. How are you? That's great to be back, Guy Adami. I missed a whole heck of a lot of the action. And I, I got to take it back, though. You and I, the one thing I did while I was on vacation, you and I had a conversation on OK Computer on the podcast that I host that drops Wednesdays. Check that out in the podcast doors, people. I asked you a very specific question Tuesday morning, and the market was rallying, but it was rallying after we had a lot of downward volatility into last week because of the trepidation of what the Fed might do at their meeting. And I asked you very very specifically the guy. I said, do you think they sold the rumor? Now they're going to buy the news. And you said, matter of factly, yes. So did you think they were going to keep rallying the way that they did? Carter's going to hit the, the S&P and the NASDAQ charts later because it was definitely an interesting technical move, but it was fairly violent in a very short period of time. Yeah, short answer is no. I mean, I thought maybe a day, day and a half, but I thought by Friday we'd be giving it all up. Now, a lot of people have added me on Twitter. I think that's what the kids call it and saying, listen, there was this option expiry on Friday, triple witch, blah, blah, blah. All the people that had hedges, obviously, how far could the market go down when people are hedged for it? I mean, so in retrospect, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. But I think as we're sitting here right now, we're starting to see some of the things that can take place with a very hawkish Fed. But that's We'll talk to CBW about that. But the short answer is, yeah, I thought it would rally. No, I didn't think we'd rally to the extent that we did, Dan. Well, well, here's the question, okay? And so, you know, we're doing this right now. It's 1 o'clock. We know that the Fed met last week, and we had that kind of buy-the-news sort of event here. What the market or what participants were buying was the certainty or at least the credibility that the Fed is going to stick to this battling inflation through rate hikes. They obviously ended QE. And so my question now is, like, what is priced in, okay? If you think about this, they told you, and what Powell just set on the tape right now is that they will raise faster if needed. All right. So that's in the market right now. The S&P is down six and a half percent. The NASDAQ is down 12 percent. The NASDAQ was down, you know, 22 or 23 percent. And so let me ask you this, because if you're just going to be dogmatic and you like to say I'm never dogmatic or I don't like to be dogmatic here, you could just say that, okay, maybe it's all in the market and maybe the market knows what the market knows here. And we're going to get back to we have this war situation which will resolve itself. And so my question is, could we be back at new highs in the S&P 500 while some people are still licking their, their bearish chops here. I see what you're doing there. You're playing devil's advocate. I think Al Pacino movie along with Keanu Reeves, if yep. I'm not mistaken. And I like what you're doing there. And my pushback would be, well, you know, when the Fed told us what they were going to do back in the beginning of the pandemic and they threw all kinds of money, the market rallied for a year and a half. So yep. 
You could have said a month in it was priced in. Clearly, it wasn't as the market continued to grind higher. So maybe in terms of bond market expectations, it's priced in. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, it's priced into equities. And oh, by the way, you know they're going to start to reduce their balance sheet. We're going to start to see the impact of inflation on company earnings. So no, I don't think it's priced in at all in the equity market. Yeah, that's the main question here, okay? And so to me, what's different this time is that rates are rising, right? And inflation is where it is for whatever reason. But you just said in the equity market, let's look at the bond market. Look at U.S. Treasuries heel here. 30-year chart guy, you know the line here. It's upper left to bottom right. It went to zero, which nobody ever thought would really happen in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Obviously, when Fed funds went basically to zero, that's what we saw here. But if we were to rally back to that downtrend, which would be around, I don't know, 3% or so, what is your take on stocks then? Because we have we have a little history recently on, with, with 3% Look, on the 10-year. If 10-year yields went to 3% because the economy was going gangbusters, I would say, yes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely equities can rally. But that's not why rates are going higher. They're going higher for far more nefarious reasons, which are deleterious, which is a great word, by the way, for equity. So I just say it's a different environment now. So if rates were to go to 3% and, you know, I don't know if they're getting there, Dan, because I do think if we see a market sell off, you'll see this flight to quality in the form of 10 year yields. But I'll play your reindeer game. If they were to go there, they'd go there for the wrong reasons and equities will sell off. Yeah. All right. Real quickly, we have a chart here, Guy, a five-year chart. I just Mm -hmm. mentioned this is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield plotted versus the S&P 500. Remember back in 2018 when we had the 10-year yield above 3% for the first time in a very long time, the stock market, the S&P 500, topped out in and around 3,000 or just below that there. You know, if you look at that chart, and again, it's probably a chart file. Carl Carter will be able to throw the flag here. You know, if we see rates battling back towards that, you know, above two and a half percent, are we likely to see the S&P 500 come back towards, you know what the level would be, buddy? Look at that low from 2017 on that chart. Is that somewhere around 3,750? I think that's exactly, look, I've said for a while, I think the ultimate landing point for this S&P 500 is 4,000 first as a touch, not because it's a round number, just because it lines up. And then 3,750 makes a lot of sense. And you're pointing it out now. So I'm with you 100%. And no doubt Carter will throw the flag. But, you know, I think if this continues on its merry way, and again, as we're speaking, we're getting comments out of Jerome Powell that obviously the market's not too pleased with. I think the market's in for a bit of a hiccup here, and we'll see. The other thing we have to talk about, obviously, we have Liz Young from SoFi. I noticed I went Liz Young this time, not (laughs) EY, because I know there are a lot of you MKT bingo players. But she put out a tweet, Dan. You can speak to this. But yield curve at the same narrow 210 spread as last week, 20 basis points-ish. If you get a dollar every time you heard the word inversion this week, lunch is on you. I hear what she's saying, but quite frankly, we've seen the the yield curve invert in the form of five tens. So it's it's happening right before our very eyes, Dan. Yeah, I thought this thread was really interesting. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it a little bit here. And, you know, if you look at that chart of the 210 spread, to your point, we've seen other curves invert here. This is the one that I think most talking heads like you and me like to refer to. And the last time we saw an inversion, it got just below, you know, it just got below as like a negative nine basis points or something. I'd be really hard pressed to see it not get there now, guy. And I guess the question is, is like, okay, if we look at the next chart, we plot this over the last five 
five years, the 210 spread versus the S&P 500. You know, the last time that we saw that inversion in August of 2019, the stock market had a little bit of volatility there, but then it went on to make new highs. We did have a recession. Now, you could say it was a black swan, you know, that was happening in 2020, but it happened. And so I'm just curious what those two charts say to you. And then we'll drill down on the other part of Liz is drinking game Twitter thread. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, a flattening yield curve to me is not, It's listen, I'll put it this way. Certainly not a bullish sign. Now you can say, yeah. well, it's not necessarily bearish. Okay, I'll give you that. But it's certainly not bullish either. And it speaks to some of the problems. Again, you know, I'm not looking to pick on the Fed, but it's, you know, they have to pick their poison at this point. Are they going to fight inflation and understanding what's going to happen to rates and the yield curve? Or are they going to sort of forego that and allow things to sort of move on their own and then have this inflation problem continue to manifest itself? There's no easy way out for them. As a matter of fact, great Kevin Costner movie with Sean Young. There's no way out, Dan. See what I did there? Oh, with the great Gene Hackman, too. Sure. I, I don't know how you quote that movie as Secretary of Defense and you don't mention Gene Hackman. Guy, but here's the thing that I think is really interesting about this period versus that period that we're talking about is, yes, the Fed was was raising and they were you know very clear about their intent to do so the difference here is inflation which brings us to this next asset class performance okay mm-hmm. so look at this okay this is after inversion does anything stick out to you because i gotta say for our audience if you've been with us on market call if you watch guy adami or as we call him nostradami on cnbc's fast money or on our podcast on the tape he's been calling for this very thing a flattening yield curve you thought he'd get to 30 you didn't put away the chance that it would invert or so but back then in 19 guy they were hoping for more inflation now they're battling inflation it's interesting. The one that sticks out to me, I mean, not because it's the biggest number after 12 months, but it's emerging markets. And you really have to, I mean, we, we could do an entire show on why that's the case, but emerging markets being sort of a flight to quality in this environment makes a lot of sense. The one that sort of stuck out to me, and I would never have thought it, is, listen, gold does really well proceeding, but on the back end, gold, once again, not showing any, just showing nothing at all, flattening the going lower is interesting. So we'll see. You know, I'm not going to say it's different this time. There's obviously a lot of history behind this. But for some reason, there's so many things about this, Dan, that feel different this time. All right. So when I left, Guy, before I went away on vacation, crude oil, you had the call. You thought it'd break out. You thought it'd get above 120. It did that very briefly, went straight to 130. And then you saw it eh, might come back to that uptrend that had been in place. You know, I thought maybe you'd see 90, which was kind of that that low right before it launched here. It bounced off of that uptrend. You see that 200-day moving average, which is moving up, which does mm-hmm. makes a little sense to you. It's going to be near 80 very soon. If we do see a de-escalation, are we going to see crude blow through to the downside, that uptrend, and maybe kind of battling back towards that 200-day? Listen, I think that's what a lot of bears are hoping for. I don't think that's going to happen because, quite frankly, a de-escalation is not going to take away any of the sanctions. Like Everything doesn't magically go back to where it was in you know October, November of last year. So no, I don't think you're going to see. I think you saw the sell-off on A, a blow-off top, Mm-hmm. And talk of de-escalation when the market sold off the way it did a couple weeks ago. As Carter would say, and for you folks playing the bingo game, to the penny in terms of this uptrend line, and we've bounced. I think there's another like higher in crude. And you know what, Dan? You know, I've been pretty steadfast in this. I think we've done a decent job calling the move higher, the subsequent blow off top, back down to the trend line, and the subsequent bounce. And you know, we'll talk about OIH probably on another show, but that's done everything exactly right technically as well, Dan. 
All right. Well, let's not take our word for it. We're talking about charts, guy. You and I are just kind of, you know, pulling things out of our you know what here. Let's bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, the man, the myth, the legend. Please, Carter, weigh in a little bit on what we had to say here, bud. Well, the first thing that I hold on, guys. But the first thing I thought when guy you said that you're getting, I don't know what's the word somewhere on Twitter, someone's saying something. Added. That's only in hindsight. getting added. Added, but that's only in hindsight. They say, well, the market had to go up because of expiration. Everyone was hedged. If it had been down, you wouldn't have heard from anybody. You know, this is how this is. So it's not librarians' work here. We're doing it's speculating. It's hard work, and it's cut a lot of errors to it. But what we can do is watch our levels, and then at some point you're in the lap of the gods. Has energy bounced crude after a blow off? Yes. The real question is, is that high going to stand as a major high, that 130 plus or minus? And you get a lot of people calling for 200 a barrel, if this and then that and so forth. My hunch is that it's going to be hard to take out that high. That was a blow off. We did correct violently down below 90, I think it was 92, 91. And now we've bounced here into the mid 100s again. To take out that high, I don't think that's the reality. And so the real question is, what do you do? With your energy shares, do you trim them here or do you hold to be determined? But I think that high is going to stand for a good long while. Let's get into the broader market, CBW, because that's why, listen, people tune in just to hear you talk. I didn't understand that. But let's look at you brought some charts with you, as is your want to do on the Monday market call. Let's take a look at them in order. I'm not going to use the word that you use so often because that's your thing. I'm going to allow you to do it. And again, the folks playing our home game will be enthralled by that. But please wax poetic here about the SPX. All right. So I thought we'd do short-term stuff here because what we know, and and it's oft-cited in the internet, you have lots of people, anyone can draw the lines. We have a trend line of sorts. Now, to be fair, if you can connect any two points, any two points in time, that's not a trend. You need at least three. And this has three perspectively for. So the real question is, is this a meaningful move? It's up. Sure, it's up. But it's a minor trend line. I think more importantly is the sequencing. In the next chart, just look at these sort of annotations. Those are sort of peak the trough, peak the trough, three distinct rallies. Now, let's put the actual stats on top of those. And you can see here in the next chart. So we have a seven session rally, a five session and a five session. The first was up 8.8, the second 7.3, this third, the one right now up 7.7. So is this somehow a definitive bottom? It's a counter trend rally. That's all one can say as of now. Obviously, if it develops further, if you were to dip considerably and then go higher, you'd start to have something. But reading much more into it than other than a counter trend rally, I think is just that reading into it. We have a question from our audience member, Jay Ask, and this is your language. It's not mine. I'm going to read the question. Would be interested in Carter's take for best signal of a true capitulation. Is it an A to D measure like 90%, 10% question mark? So I think you probably understand his language. And this chart sort of speaks to some of that, but talk to me in terms of true capitulation. Sure. So there's, uh, you're talking about an advanced decline where you get 90 plus percent stocks either advancing or declining. You look at short-term thrust ratios about how many stocks have moved above a, a 10-day or 20-day moving average. These are known as breath indicators. There are also a lot of statistics around you're going up more than 50, 80 basis points, three, four, five, 10 days in a row. Is that usually low? There are a lot of ways to try to figure it out. None is perfect. There is a general consensus, I will tell you this, that somehow the lows are in. 
The real question is this, and I think it's, is the sell-off of 15%, 14.5 to be exact in the S&P, 22% in the NASDAQ, is that enough to expunge the excess of the preceding two years? Meaning it seems disproportionate. A two-year advance of the magnitude that we saw, and somehow it's all fixed in 12 weeks? Yeah, well, Carter, what I would say, you know, and I'm just again, I was away for a week and, you know, looking at the S&P, you know, down six and a half percent or something, given everything that we know that's happened over the last two years. And we know that we're not out of it. Now we have some other sort of event that's happened that's kind of, you know, exasperating a little bit of what we've seen as far as the, you know, the supply chain issues. And we don't even know what's going to happen to corporate earnings. It just can't be what people thought it was going to be when we came into it. So I just don't believe it down six and a half percent in the S&P five really does that justice. And I do not believe that we have bottomed here. And what's different this time around is that the Fed is raising. They are pulling away all that monetary stimulus. But let's go to the NASDAQ, because this is one that I think all of us have been focused on, the NASDAQ 100 in particular. And six or seven names make up, I don't know, 45, 50% of that here. And we had that damage that was done off the highs, but we had seen a lot of damage going on for months and months under the hood, right? And we were saying that Big parts of the market in the NASDAQ in particular have already crashed here. So you have this move. You got that new low there that bounced above that downtrend that was pretty steep over you know a three-month period or so. Give us what's going on here in the NDX. Right. So internally, right, some of the stats you're speaking of, in the Russell 3000, right, the broadest aggregate we have, yeah. representing 98% of the investable capital, basically half of all stocks lost 35% or more of their value. In terms of the NASDAQ and the lines drawn, it's the same thing as the S&P. Of course, correlation with the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 is exceedingly high. So we've moved above this minor downtrend, but the sequencing is the same. Look at the next two charts. First, we have, of course, the peak to trough. You see it here, the lines drawn, when we move from the low to the high, low to the high. Now, the one thing that's incrementally less bearish, to be fair, is that we didn't make a new low. And you can see that there. Now look at the third chart. It's the same as the S&P. Look at the, look at the moves, right? So a seven-session move, a five and a five. Very symmetrical, very similar. The first one's 10-7, the next one's 9-8, this one's 11-1. So the only thing that makes this one a little bit different than the other two is that we are not coming from a new low. And that needs to be watched. That's the only thing one could read that's incremental. All right. And so this is where I got to break in, though, buddy, because, you know, again, and we've talked about this on Market Call, and I know that you're not saying that it's not, you know, that that we're not going to see a new low, that the bottom is in. But in my past two periods, forget the pandemic sell-off. But when we talk about the aftermath of the dot-com and the aftermath of the financial crisis here, the one thing, though, that was really important was time, right? Putting in those bottoms over time. And I just don't believe that we've had this sell-off from the late November period in the NASDAQ and then obviously from January in the S&P 500. And we are going to be done in one quarter, given what we know about inflation and what the Fed has to do and what the impact is going to be on corporate earnings. So just give us a little sense, because the, the other one is like, don't we need some fits and starts here, man? Don't we need some lower lows? Don't we need sentiment to get worse than bad? You know what I mean? And then we can kind of figure out over months, not weeks, how the market bottoms. Yeah, again, it's back to sort of the sort of rules of proportionality to go up for 24 months. Can you sort of fix it, right? Can you correct it? That's why they use those words, right? 
in a matter of weeks. The peak was Gen 4, the low a week ago, sort of mid-March, if you will. And it just feels a little too quick and easy and done. Now, the, the bull would argue, no, it wasn't quick and easy and done. Half of all stocks, you just said, Carter, lost 35% of the value. So we've had our bear market. It's just that the big ones have held up. Or there's always a new player onto the field. When the market's in trouble, in comes energy to, to act well. In comes agricultural names. In comes sort of other commodities like steel names and gold to offset. But at the end of the day, a 15, 14.5% sell-off in the S&P, while it's substantial, it doesn't seem to be enough in my mind, and what you're seeing, Dan, to have expunged the excess of the preceding two years. Questions are coming fast and furious. Our crack producer, Amanda Diaz, has been sending to me. William Shaska, we answered, hopefully, your energy question a few minutes ago. Both Carter and I had different opinions, but that's what makes markets, as they say. Jay, we answered your question, by the way. Jay, I did mention past resistance becomes support, so please fill out your bingo card accordingly. And as we go to Apple, We have a question from Sunil. Can you talk why Apple is moving up? Does this have legs or is it a false breakout? Carter, still believe 140 before 175. And here we go. We go right into your wheelhouse because there's your Apple chart, CBW. Right. So, I mean, to some extent, and we'll look at this later, Apple's correlation with the market is very high. Apple has had its correction, if you will. The question is, is it enough? My hunch is no. I think you fade this rally. And the sequencing is quite similar to the S&P, which you can see on that chart. We can continue, Dan. I know you have some thoughts on Apple. You've been away a week. We obviously yeah. saw it breach the, we, you know, we, we traded down to the 200 day a couple of weeks ago, bounced. We breached it recently, have bounced again, but this down channel is intact. And, you know, this is your chart, brother. So yeah. speak to it. Well, here's part of the thing that I would just say is we're going to have Nike reporting earnings after the close. And we know that, you know, obviously supply chains and access to inputs um, are very important to their finished products here. And I just think that what we hear out of Nike, I don't expect it to be particularly good. I think the visibility is going to be very poor. And I think if you think about some of the issues that Apple could have as it relates to China, we've already seen because of just, I mean, I can't believe we're still talking about COVID protocols in China. They've had factories kind of shut down here. So I don't think the fundamentals have caught up to the technicals here yet. I think that's going to be a big story as we get done through Q1 into April when we start hearing companies give their earnings reports. We may see a lot in early April of pre-announcements because companies may say, let's get the bad news out of the way here. So to me, Apple, I think, you know, probably gets back towards those lows from the fall near 140 when it breaks this 200-day and then this down channel again. But I think the technicals are likely to lead the fundamentals. And we may not get any news on that front for a couple of weeks or so. Okay, Carter, you know what? It wouldn't be a market call or it wouldn't be a worth charting session if you did not use the term to the penny. We rely on you to give us the setup where it just seems so precise, right? What are you focused on on your note this morning? Yeah, sometimes there are remarkable precision in a stock, in a currency, in a chart, and how a level takes on a great deal of authority. So we we singled out healthcare this morning, and let's look at some of those charts. All of the charts were ratio charts, looking at the relative performance line of the S&P 500 healthcare sector to the S&P. So this first one, it's not necessarily a tease, but it's the way the first chart appeared in the report. One could say, what? So you that's random. You picked any old point, drew your green arrow, and there's a red trend line. 
And so I wanted to start with that because is that that's that's the day before Thanksgiving in November. Now remember that line and look at the next chart. And is it random? It looks like I just do same. You get fixated on a point in time. Look at the next chart, taking it back a little further. Look at the next chart. All we're looking at is the relative performance line versus the S&P. Now look at the all data chart, the beginning of sector data as we have them now. And it's as straight as forward as what you just said. Every time that the relative strength line has touched this trend line, it has bounced to the penny. And on November 23rd, I guess it is on the chart, we bounced yet again. And healthcare is performing fantastically, beating the market. If that yellow line is up, it's outperforming. The yellow line is down. It's under market. So healthcare is- I'm sorry. I was going to say quickly, Carter, and I just want to point something out. You go back and look at when this occurred. I mean, these bottoms in healthcare correlated to major subsequent sell-offs in markets. I mean, I, you know, again, what you're looking at here is a 30-something year chart. I think it's fascinating that specifically, you know, 99, 2000, 08, 09, you look at what happened. I mean, the correlation there is interesting. And, and what happened on the back end of equity markets in aggregate was even more interesting. That's right. And so healthcare, which is a, obviously there are a lot of areas. There's pharma, right? There's devices, there's managed care, there's biotech, it goes on and on. But the point is, in aggregate, when you pick up this sector, its relative performance peaked six, seven years ago, which you can see there in 15. And is it random that it stopped to the penny at that line? It's defensive, but offensive, meaning true defense, right, is a serial company or utility. But healthcare has got offensive and defensive things in it. I think it's an excellent place to be. I agree with you. And real quick, I know Dan's got some thoughts on our next subject, which is going to be the Walt Disney Company. But, you know, we've tried to point out healthcare, specifically big cap pharma for a while. And look at Bristol Myers about to break up. Eli Lilly's been making all time highs. Merck has seemed to have found a bottom around 75, 76. Pfizer drug off the mat. So I think you're spot on. I think it's really important to watch if we continue to see strength in that sector, what it means for the broader market. Dan, please, you got the house divided, or I should say the mouse house divided. <laughs> yeah, the mouse house, buddy. We got to talk about this one. This was a great report from Alex Sherman, a reporter over at CNBC. It came out this morning talking about how one Bob Iger, and guy, you and I talked about it at the time. It was really odd timing. Bob Iger literally announced his retirement on March 11, 2020. That was the day like that the NBA shut down. I mean, like everything seemed to be shutting down and we thought it was really strange he had this amazing tenure at disney for 15 years he bought lucas he bought marvel he bought pixar he really transformed the company from a content standpoint that gave him the ability to kind of move into this cold over-the-top streaming sort of world acquired hulu that sort of thing so this report was really interesting that once the pandemic seemed very clear that his heir apparent bob chapek who was still supposedly going to be working with him was pissed when Iger said in an interview that he was going to stick around a bit more to help guide through the thing and so you know that news last week about starbucks with johnson stepping down and Schultz coming back in really kind of led me to think, man, whoa, there is not too many more screw-ups that JPEC has because Iger is still, you know, or was the chairman just recently. He's coming back if there's any screw-up. What's your take here? You've been constructive on Disney. Back when Disney was like north of 180, you thought we'd see 135. Well, we got back there. What's your take here now? Yeah, I actually thought last quarter, and if you go back and look, it was a tremendous quarter. And the stock, I think, traded almost to 160. It's given it all up. 
My take is for the first time in a while, Dan, I think you can make a really compelling case for Disney on valuation, number one. Number two, I do think in the back half of this year, understanding what's going on geopolitically, but hopefully COVID's going to be behind us. I mean, they have a lot of work to do in parks and stuff. I think there is a lot of pent-up demand. And I think the back half of this year could be amazing for Disney. Now, with that said, I thought this would start taking place a month and a half, two months ago. And obviously, we've fallen on some hard time. A lot of it's self-imposed. But at these levels, just on valuation alone, Dan, I think you can make a really good case for Disney. All right, Carter, give it to us. What are the charts telling you, buddy? Yeah, for me, it, it's sometimes the, the best trades, the ones you never make, right? So don't want to be short, don't want to be long. First, this is a relative chart. So now how shocking is this? The mighty Disney, we're just looking at the same thing we did as an exercise with healthcare. It's Disney's relative performance to the SPX, so a ratio, and then plot it as a line. Disney is making five, six, eight, 10 year relative lows. It peaked in 2015. I think I've got one relative to the sector. If we have the next chart, this is relative performance to the entire consumer discretionary sector. So compared to Ford, compared to Amazon, any compared to Macy's and Walmart. I mean, Disney's relative performance peaked in 96. So you have to wonder, like the mighty Disney, and we all think of it as just that, whether it's a media company or an entertainment company or a place you go with your family, it just doesn't act well. I don't know if we have any absolute charts here, but I mean, there's something there's something not right. Saad, so you mentioned peaking in 96. I think I might have peaked in 96 <laughs> as well, but that's neither here nor there. And you mentioned sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't do. Well, I will tell you, Carter, not that you care. We're 90 minutes away from the NHL trade deadline coming and going. And to this point, the Rangers haven't done anything. There's still time. But as you said, sometimes the best trade is not making one at all. We will see. That's 30 minutes. So see what I did there, folks? That's called sort of stringing it out to the end. That's what I do. I guarantee none of you suckers had NHL trade deadline on your bingo card. Too bad. But that was today's market call. Thanks again to our sponsors, FactSet and Open Exchange. And if you dug this, and I know you did, don't lie to yourself, tune in to tomorrow, 1 o'clock. Carter Braxtonworth back by both necessity and popular demand. We are 5,000. Thanks, Carter. You bet.